Before we begin with today's teaching, uh, there's another uh, matter of business we'd like to uh, tend to this morning. As some of you may know, a while back we worked to streamline the leadership uh, structure here at Hope and tried to just make it a little more efficient the way that we manage things with our boards. And uh, part of that process was with the Board of Elders, what we've been trying to do over the past uh, year or so was to try and relieve Mike of some of his more administrative duties and spread those out amongst the elders and try to, because he's transitioning more into serving in the capacity of counseling as well as continuing a lot of his ministerial duties here. So part of that with our Board of Elders is we're in a, position right now where we'd like to beef that up a little bit. So we've uh, began the process of adding a couple of more elders to our board of elders. And what I'd like to do this morning is to simply introduce a couple of gentlemen that we're uh, considering to add to the board. Uh, I'm going to be quick to point out this isn't a competition <laughs> or a popularity contest, <laughs> but uh, it's not an either-or thing. We're considering uh, adding two positions, and the names that boiled to the top for that were our friends David Mao and Brian King. And what I'd like to do this morning is ask these two guys if they'd come up and just talk to us briefly about... Uh, their involvement with Hope, and if you guys would like to come up and say a little bit. What we're hoping to get out of these guys today was just a little bit more uh, background about uh, interested in how you guys landed here at Hope, and probably even more significant, why you stayed (laughs) here at Hope, and uh, also especially how this this message that we have built this ministry upon, how it's impacted your life. Because it's not just the church that helps people get their lives in order, but it's really the message itself. So we're really interested in the impact that the message of hope has had on your life and, and a little bit about how you'd like to give back, uh, perhaps in this capacity here with this new opportunity. And you're standing closer. Shame on you. <laughs> okay, there we go. I was going to be funny and say I'm first because I know I'd win the popularity. Right. Right. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I became a believer back in 1990 while I was at uh, USD. And during that time, uh, Mike came down and actually spoke to our the group that I was involved in. Um, and then a group of us decided to start going to the church he was preaching at at that time. And... Um, and then I moved away, and then I came back, and at that, when I came back, it was Hope Community Church had started, um, and that was back in 1995. Um, and so I've been here a long time, um, and and seen and listened and and sat, uh, and gotten involved in lots of different capacities. Um, I've had, I have, um, I'm married. I have seven kids. I say, um, Sammy. Brady, Ben, uh, Cass, Nay, Taylor, and Chaos. <laughs> so I, I try to avoid Chaos, but he just seems to always show up. But um, 
career-wise, I've, I've been in the financial services industry pretty much my whole career. I've started as a bank teller, um, moved up to being a, a lender, bank manager, um, financial advisor, licensed for a little while, and then um, back to bank management. And now I'm uh, doing insurance sales for uh, First Bank and Trust here in town. So I've been with them um, 12 years um, this year. So anyway, kind of swimming in that in that part of the world. But um, and I'm I'm helped the church with their financial management stuff as well too, as a bookkeeper and and uh, counselor to some extent. But um, impactful things. I I wrote down some impactful things that I've learned from Hope. Um, probably two of the most. I mean, there's many, but. Um, Probably the, one of the number one ones is how God defines good, um, and it's not. It, it took me a while to learn. It's not what I thought it was. Um, and the this Joseph story in the Bible is probably one of the one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and, and also the Job story as far as that's how God defines good. And it's the saving of many lives and sharing in His holiness, and it is kind of like uh, marriage in that it's in sickness and in health, um, in need and having what we want. Um, so it's exclusive of my comfort. So God's going to have, good is going to happen whether or not it makes me comfortable or not, or the ones I love comfortable or not. And sometimes that means we have to watch um, people we love in discomfort or ourselves uh, experience discomfort. But the other thing that was impactful is um, God is helios. Um, and that, that means non-reactive, uh, benevolent. Um, his face doesn't change based on when I get it right or when I don't get it right. Um, and that makes him approachable. And that, that during a wilderness experience in my life was huge. The fact that God is approachable and I don't have to shine uh, the outside or even the inside to get to be able to come to his feet. And and um, and uh, during that time, I learned that he was responsible and um, and so powerful that he can affect the microorganism level of our our existence. And I think we forget that a lot of times. Um, you know, so anyway, so that's obviously that's had an impact in, in the way I've learned um, about him. And I, I try as often as I can to take a childlike role um, when I close my eyes and imagine coming to the father because it's so nice not having to be responsible, a responsible adult and, and allowing myself to um, be like a child and and come to him like and call him daddy. You know, and, and just truly let go of the responsibilities of this world. But anyway, what I, I hope to use my financial management experience and worldly knowledge that I've learned um, to help the church from a, a business perspective. I, I'd like to um, use my experience as a Christian um, and, and sitting um, to help the church with their continued vision and protect and give the message. I mean, that's really why I'm looking forward to the opportunity to help. So, Outstanding. Thank you. And 
There is no doubt he would win the popularity contest. <laughs> but I would win a dance-off. <laughs> and a beauty contest. <laughs> I don't know about the swimsuit competition. Can I go there? Can I go there? Um, yeah, so when when this uh, topic came up, I, I had to come to grips with the fact that if I'm being asked to consider the elder board, I'm not 25 anymore, and that's kind of a really depressing thought. But um, so what uh, my background, I grew up in, uh, in a, a different uh, church, and this was a, um, you know, twice on Sunday, catechism on Wednesday, um, youth group, everything else, and and through that, I really formed a perspective of God um, that was uh, condemning um, and um, unapproachable and um, something to be feared. Um, uh, and uh, I had that my whole life from till I was 20-something. Um, and then my dad got sick, and uh, he was in the hospital for a while, and I decided I chose to spend my Sundays with him so I could bring him to um, to the um, service at the church or at the hospital where he was. And it was over the course of that year of taking him to um, to the service that I received a letter from um, the Board of Elders at the church I was going to that, in short, expressed how disappointed they were in not seeing me at church and the level of my giving and everything else. Um, and um, I was like, are they so unaware and, and so um, short-sighted, I guess, to see not see what's going on in the lives of, of um, a member of their church that started the church? That was, uh, my dad was one of the founding uh, families, uh, we were anyway, of, of the church uh, as it grew up. So I was really hurtful, and um, uh, I wrote a letter back to the Board of Elders expressing my disappointment and their disappointment, <laughs> and the uh, and um, I ended it with you know the God I believe in isn't going to request um, my membership papers uh, to the church when I get there so uh, good luck with everything that you're doing and I hope you wish me the best as well so um, I decided to stay away from the church uh, for for a few years um, and then I walked into Hope uh, one day. And I heard this message I'd never heard before, um, and uh, and I was curious. Um, I was a little freaked out, to be honest with you, at first. Uh, it was a departure, a big departure from what I grew up with. And um, But I sat, and I stayed, and I remained. And what changed was my perception of God and my understanding of who God is and how he looks at me and how he looks at all of us, and that... Despite my circumstances and the things that I can see and that are tangible, um, good or bad, it, God didn't change. He doesn't change. He's there. And it's the big picture, the, the long-term view of God that, that has really stuck with me. So I plugged in to Hope. Um, many of you may, have re- may remember seeing me hauling every tub of uh, children's ministry gear back to our storage room because I'm a one-trip kind of guy. Um, <laughs> and, um, so I would be hauling carts back and forth. That's where I plugged in is, is helping set up uh, for children's ministry and tear down. Um, and then Denise convinced me that um, 
I, I had a way with kids and, and I started teaching. Um, and that, that actually grew my, my faith and my understanding because hearing it and internalizing it is one thing, but being able to communicate it and articulate it to children is a totally different thing. And uh, being able to um, give them the message and help them understand who God is in a way that I never had um, is why I stayed. Um, that was really meaningful to me in, in being able to help children understand. And, and when they answer back to me, like, all right, when you when you did that to your brother or sister, do you think, you know, God changed his opinion of you? No, because good is ahead of me, and it's guaranteed. Like, that's that's it. That's that's what kept me here. Um, but the other thing is, Brian mentioned it through, through the wilderness. Um, we all have it. Um, I've definitely had it, and uh, you guys have had it, but the church isn't this building. It's, it wasn't O'Gorman when we were in O'Gorman. It's not this building. It's you. It's the community. Um, and uh, the last Sunday I taught, we talked about community, and I used an illustration of having one child. I'm not going to say who in case the parents are a little upset that I did this, but <laughs> I had them drag a table from one side of the room to the other by themselves, and asked how how easy was that? Well, that was pretty tough. Okay, well, now let's have two people. And all right, was that a little bit easier to move? Yeah. Now three people and four people, and it was easier, of course, with four. Walking through the wilderness is easier in the community, and that's what that's what keeps me here. It's this community of people who are doing exactly what I did, trying to understand and and. Visualize who God is, um, and uh, and be able to remain because remaining is is the most critical part, um, and that's that's why I stay. So my background is in also financial services, um, and um, I've been with uh, with a different bank, a better bank. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. We're all equals in Sioux Falls. That's it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just kidding. Yeah. Um, so I've been with that bank for almost 20 years um, in various roles, um, leadership management. Um, and uh, so I want to use that. Um, I, I'm a big believer in, in the message and being able to sit down with people at other churches and have a have a calm conversation about their message uh, and, and where I see that they're going off track with the message um, uh, is is pretty important, and I like taking those opportunities when I get them, and um, and that's uh, kind of what I want to add to the leadership here is just some some of my financial background and, and some of my leadership background and, and people management, and I hope that uh, can add some value here too. So thanks. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Outstanding. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And as we're uh, going through this elder process, I just want to point out that this isn't just our decision as uh, the Board of Elders, but it's our collective decision as community. And part of that process is over the next 30 days, we really would welcome uh, your input into what we're doing and with these guys in particular. There's going to be strategically located places where we'll have some simple forms. If We really would love to hear from you. If you want to weigh in with any affirmations, any positive feedback, uh, 
on this decision. We'd love to hear that. And conversely, if you have any concerns, we would really appreciate hearing those too. So please, if you want to weigh in on this, take the, uh, the opportunity over the next 30 days, grab one of those forms and fill it out. It's confidential. Uh, we would like, if you are willing to sign it, that always uh, adds depth and weight to, you know, especially the criticisms. But, uh, again, we'd, you know, better than just sucker punches from left field. But <laughs> I've had those too. <laughs> but however um, however you want to communicate that, we'd love to hear from, that, uh, from you on that. So, all right. So thanks again, guys. Really appreciate not only this morning, given that uh, those testimonies, I guess we'd call them, but we really appreciate all the service you've already done here because it's been completely valuable to keeping the wheels on out here. And we really appreciate our volunteers. So thank you again. So with that, we'll get into the teaching today. I can say, hey, part two. <laughs> Hey, and uh, it's uh, already been one of them days. Uh, I had a flat tire on the way here this morning, so that's, you know, as some of you know, I used to have a lot of problems with technology and things. When I ever we landed on one of those Sundays, I had to teach, and something would blow up or go wrong, and uh, looks like the, those are back. If if I was still uh, if I was still going through my Pentecostal phase, I'd probably over-spiritualize what happened. I'd say, the devil tried to dissuade me from going about our Lord's work today, amen. <laughs> yes, uh, he sent me a thorn in the flesh of my firestone. <laughs> but today I understand a little more about how things work spiritually, and I can honestly say, I ran over something because I live out by the dump. <laughs> so, but it's uh, not not any less frustrating when you have some place to be and you get a flat tire. It's one of the joys of living on this planet. So, and Mike is in uh, Boston, as Jay said. So uh, he called me up and asked if we could just switch uh, switch around some Sundays here. So I kind of jumped in here on short notice. So we're doing this today live without a net. <laughs> so bear with me. It might be a little stumbly, but. Uh, but what a great topic today. We're continuing in a series that we call Tackling Tough Issues. And today we're specifically going to talk about a great topic, love. Uh, one of the problems we encounter when we're trying to communicate truths or concepts is the words that we use are not always defined the same as the people who hear those words. If, I were, if we were to flip over our worship bulletin and I asked everybody to draw a picture of a car, C-A-R, I doubt if any two of us would ever draw a picture of the same vehicle. Some people hear the word car and they think of a Buick and others think of a Cadillac or uh, others might draw a picture of an SUV or they might draw a picture of a minivan and then we can have the argument over if that's even a car or not. <laughs> So just because we use a word like car doesn't mean that people are thinking of the same thing we're talking about. That's certainly true when we use a word like God, G-O-D. And no two of us have the same conception of God. And unfortunately, we live in a world of deception. 
where not only are we bombarded with false messages, and a lot of those messages are spiritual in nature, uh, but we're, we face a lot of deception when it comes to forming an accurate conception of God. Some of that deception, according to Romans, is internal. So not only does the world lie to us and Hollywood lies to us, but our heads lie to us and confirms that the wrong information is true and the truth is a lie. So that's what makes it really hard to have clear communication about what we're talking about. And that's why when we land on this topic today in our series on tackling tough issues, I'm typing this up the other night and I'm thinking, Tough issues. Now, I know what some tough issues are, and in this world, we're constantly bombarded with tough issues. Issues with immigration and, and the laws of our land and, and with uh, marriage and all kinds of challenges that we're facing as a society. And those are tough issues, and we're talking about a lot of these tough issues biblically as we're going through this series. And I, I'm tightening this up, and I'm going... What love? <laughs> How did that make the list? What's tough about teaching about love? That should be easy, right? But unfortunately, that word love is one of the most misunderstood words that I've ever encountered next to the word God. And just because we're talking about love, I don't think it always is defined the way that it ought to be defined. So that's why I'm really glad that we're talking about this particular th- thing today. And uh, and that's where, uh, you know, this whole problem started in the Garden of Eden, where if you look at exactly how the serpent defi- deceived Eve, a lot of it was attacking God's nature and character by painting God as being less than loving. And by redefining love and making God look less than loving, that was how he was able to fly under their radar. So I think it's really critical that we have an accurate definition of the word God. And that's what what we've done here at Hope Community. Our main message is always centered on how to define God. And we not only teach about what God is, but more importantly, or who he is, but we're mainly focused on how he is. On trying to communicate clearly what God's true nature and character is. And that's why in order to understand God, we have to understand a little more about love. So I'm going to start today by reading the passage out of Corinthians. This will sound familiar to a lot of us because 1 Corinthians 13 uh it's read, it's almost become trite because they read this at weddings. A lot of you, I'm going to read this and you're going to have flashbacks and feel like you're back at a wedding someplace. And, uh, it's kind of like if you go to a recovering alcoholic's funeral and they have to sing Amazing Grace. <laughs> they have to, state law. <laughs> but it, it's just, you, you're so used to that, you just kind of assume that's going to be part of it. I, the wife and I went to a funeral a while back, and they sang Amazing Grace. And I look at the wife, and I go, I didn't know he was an alcoholic. <laughs> he wasn't. No, he's not. He wasn't a drunk. He was only sang Amazing Grace. <laughs> so, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, And now I will show you the most excellent way. 
If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I love how this talks about when we're a child, we think like a child and reason like a child. And uh, that really resonates when we think about God, because the way I used to define love is obviously love has to do with feeling good, right, or being happy. And when I was a kid, therefore, based on that definition of love, anything my parents did to get in the way of my pleasures was unloving. They hate me. (laughs) They hate me because they won't let me play with the shiny Ginsu knives. They don't want me to have any fun. They hate me because they won't let me play in traffic. They hate me because I can't touch the hot stove. And by interfering with my pleasures and with my will, I instantly associated that with them being less than loving. And now that we're older and I get to see things from the parents' point of view, I understand that love doesn't mean just letting people run wild and do whatever they want to do. It's pretty much exactly the opposite. True love means that you make decisions based on the other person's ultimate welfare. And sometimes that means you might have to be a big meanie if you're a parent. But that's a good thing. Because if we don't practice what real love is, then we're really not loving at all. And with that, as you know, I always tend to back into things. Uh, I think I was born the Syrian section. You know, now even today when I leave a room, I crawl out through the window. <laughs> But, wherever that came from, (laughs) but uh, I always just have this brain that sees things backwards or from a different angle. And to me, if we're going to define love, it's a lot easier to start by explaining what love is not. And one of the main things, the main points I'd like to make today is simply to understand first and foremost that love is not always of God. The Bible says that God is love. 
And it's so easy for us in our human understanding to turn that around and say, well, if love is God, then, or if God is love, then that means love is God, right? See, if you encounter God, if you encounter the real God, you will also encounter love. But just because you encounter love does not mean necessarily that you have just encountered God. Because there's a lot of love out there that is not of God, and it's not of good either. And it took me a while to get my head around that, but it started to really sink in how important that is. Because we live in a society today where we talk a lot about hate crimes. You hear that term, well, that's a hate crime. It makes me personally a little nervous because I read Orwell's 1984 and the thought police and, you know, I understand crimes that you commit and, you know, action crimes, but, you know, now they're more concerned about how you feel about it when you commit a crime, apparently, but hate crimes. But one of the things that I get out of the passages that we're studying today is that, and this is going to be a bold statement, But I would venture to say that more crimes and sins are committed today not based in hate, but based in love. Love of the wrong things. And you see, that's where this one passage I put in our worship bulletin out of Second Timothy. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutals, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. So you see, in this passage, it's not talking about people in these days that are unloving. The problem isn't a lack of love so much as a misdirected love. People loving themselves, people loving money. The King James says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. In other translations, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, not necessarily all of them. But that's a perfect example of how the Bible teaches us that the root problem isn't hate so much as love, loving this world and loving the things in the world. And that's why the more we fall in love with this world, and material possessions and things of that nature, the more it blocks us off from love of each other. Because Christianity is all about relationships. See, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship, a personal relationship with God. And relationships based in love are healthy relationships. But the problem is the Bible says you can't serve two masters. Why? because you will grow to love one and hate the other. So the more that our love gets misdirected into the things of this world, the more that blocks us off from a healthy relationship, not only with God, but with each other. So I think first and foremost, it's important to realize that even though God is love, love is not necessarily of God. 
And when we start, when we experience love, we need to always be careful and ask ourselves, what exactly is the source of this and the object of it? The second point is love is not always the motive for doing right things. See, sometimes in our teachings we say, well, just do the next right thing and and act your way into right thinking. And I don't disagree with that philosophy. However, I think that the standard that we are expected to meet is a little bit higher than that. Because this world is full of people that do the right things for the wrong reasons. Now, to balance that out, I'm always quick to say that uh, we can't wait to act until we have perfect motives either. I saw Father Martin, a very well-respected gentleman in certain circles, uh, give a talk many years ago. And the one thing I'll never forget out of that talk was this highly respected uh, gentleman that helped me a lot early and with some struggles I had in life. He made this statement where he said, I've never done anything in my life out of a completely pure motive. (laughs) And I just went, See, because, like going back to Romans 7, we have a lying lower nature through Adam, this little devil on the left shoulder, and we have this little angel on the other shoulder. If we have God, we have a a God's spirit that is working on us and eventually in us to counteract that lying lower nature. You know, when I was born, I just had two little devils. (laughs) So let's get drunk and raise heck. And the other one, yeah, it's a great idea. <laughs> it was actually progress when I got this guy over here going, I don't know, dude. <laughs> Remember what happened that last 300 times? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so that was a step up for me. But, but always a moral conflict. So we, there's always a certain element of selfishness in everything we do. You could even build the case if you live right and want to go to heaven, that could be construed as selfish. <laughs> so... But God doesn't ask us to negate our selfishness. He incorporates it in. Love thy neighbor as thyself, not instead of yourself or other than yourself. Everything in the Bible presumes self-love. But what does that love of self look like exactly? Every time I see myself in the mirror, I get a warm, fuzzy feeling. Hey. (laughs) No. To love oneself simply means that I will make decisions every day and then follow them up with constructive action for my own betterment. If I'm sick, I'll tend to my sickness and try to get well. If I'm injured, I'll tend to my wounds and try to not be, try to heal up. If I'm hungry, I'll eat. If I'm naked, you and I both want me to put some clothes on. (laughs) Uh, if I lack shelter, I'll go find a place to sleep. And that's what love looks like, self-love in a biblical sense, in a practical sense. I'm going to make decisions for my own self-preservation. And all God asks us to do is extend that same type of love to others. So by that definition, it's presumed that we love ourselves because we're going to take care of ourselves. But To understand, though, that love is not always the motive for doing right things. And that's why in our passage today, we it talked very clearly about those people who can appear very godly, who can appear spiritual, kind of like the Pharisees of old, who did a lot of things right externally, but it was in their hearts that they were a million miles from God. 
There's that other passage in Matthew where Christ said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then it goes on to say, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, they were saying, hey, let us into heaven. Why? Because of what we did. Didn't we do your will? Christ says you have to do God's will to be accepted into heaven, but then they go on saying, well, yeah, we've been doing your will, and then they talked about what they thought God's will was. Because, hey, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons? Didn't we perform many miracles? But apparently, as good and as necessary as those things were, that apparently was not God's ultimate will for them. Because they were doing that. But Christ said, no, they weren't doing what God really wanted them to do. What did God really want them to do? I think more than anything, to be in a relationship with him, and by extension, to love others. So they were doing some right things. But the missing ingredient was the most critical of all, love. The other point of this is that When we talk about love, sometimes we can also fall into the trap of believing that our command from God is to become all-loving. We often hear that term, unconditional love. That's a very romantic uh, notion. But there is a condition to God's love, one condition. You must receive it. Like any gift. I can offer you a gift, but if you don't take it, did you get the gift? No. So the one contingency on the love of God, which is available freely to every person on this planet, it's offered to everyone, but not everyone will take it. And if they don't receive it, they can't claim to have it. So I think it's critical to understand that love, to be authentic, must be received. And with that understanding, then, we sometimes fall into the trap of thinking that if we're really loving, we should be all loving. And what we don't understand is that if you ask people, does the Bible command us to love? Well, duh. Yeah, it sure does. And then here's a more challenging question. Does the Bible command us to hate? Does the Bible tell us we should hate? The right answer is yes. You know why? Because love and hate are a package deal. They're inseparable. You can't have one without the other. Now, that might rock your world a little bit, but you see, if you really think about the nature of authentic love, how can you love something without hating something that threatens it? The more a mother loves her child, the more that mother hates the cancer that has invaded her child's body. The more that you love somebody or something, the more you have to hate what is threatening it. If you love a 69 Camaro, you hate rust. (laughs) It's a package deal. And you see, 
the Bible says to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech, thus saith the Lord. The Bible in Psalms says, let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. The book of Romans in the 12th chapter says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. See, sometimes I get a little bit upset (laughs) watching the news or seeing what goes on in this world. Sometimes I scream at my TV set. (laughs) Sometimes I really go off. But anger and hatred are really passions. They're energizing forces that well up inside of us. And the Bible doesn't tell us not to be angry. It says, be angry, but sin ye not. It doesn't say don't be angry, but channel it in the right direction. My problem isn't that I get mad. It's I got mad at the wrong things. See, I finally learned I don't have a problem with people. I have a big problem with people's defects of character. (laughs) I have a big problem with people's anger. I have a big problem with people's selfishness. I have a big problem with people's greed. I have a big problem with people's paranoia. But my problem isn't with them any more than if my dog has fleas. I don't have a problem with my dog, (laughs) and I'm not going to shoot my dog to get rid of the fleas. The dog is just the host, not the parasite. So we need to start to understand that this concept of just loving everybody and everything and just being all loving and not ever get angry or not ever feel disgusted. I mean, because I love people, I hate what goes on in this world sometimes. It really makes me mad. But it's a, there, that's not a sin to feel that. It might be to act in certain ways. If I go vigilante out there, that's contraindicated, as the doctors call it. But to just feel that perhaps could be a God thing. It's okay to feel that anger coupled with that love because they're flip sides of the same coin. And the last point, as we start to understand what love is not, we can kind of back into what love really is. First and foremost, I believe love is a gift from God. It's something we receive, and this is where it's really been muddied these days, because not only do you hear this thing about just being unconditionally loving, but you also hear this teaching in the world that uh, about love, and what they try to tell us is that uh, is that if we're really loving, that uh, that what love is is it's simply an emotion, like we should feel a certain way. And I don't think that's true at all because this is, I think, one of the most critical things that finally made sense to me. In this world, love is a noun. In this world, love is a thing. All these songs on the radio are about love. But they look at love, it's an object, it's a noun, it's a thing, it's an emotion. It's something you go looking for. That old country song, looking for love in all the wrong places. (laughs) We're looking for love. It's something you fall into. I just fell in love. 
I fell on the ice a couple of weeks ago and racked my knee up. I didn't like that. (laughs) But you just fall into love. And then you fall out of love. But you see, it's, it's something that we're always looking for. We think we can keep or capture. But, and it's an emotion. It's a feeling. But in reality, if you read the biblical definition of love, there's a whole different word. That word in the Greek for that type of love is eros love. It's the word we get erotic out of. It's a feeling. In the Bible, the 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 word that God uses for love is agape love. And what that is, it's a verb, not a noun. Love isn't something you feel or something you get. Love is something you do. I love you. And the right definition of that, love means, and I love this definition, love is simply an intellectual decision followed by constructive action. I decide to do something for you, for your betterment, and then I follow it up with constructive action. That is what love turns out to be, according to God. And by that definition, I can even love my enemies. Now, if the standard is I have to conjure a warm, fuzzy feeling over that guy who owes me a 100 bucks, (laughs) good luck with that. If I have to conjure a big, fuzzy, warm feeling over the guy that door-dinged my car, that's a high standard. But we can make intellectual decisions to do right by them despite how I feel. To take constructive action on their behalf, and in doing that, sometimes our feelings can change. Because the other thing the world tells us about love is that you have to love yourself. You have to love yourself before you can love others. But that's really I can no more love myself than I can forgive myself. Because how can I be both the judge and the defendant? See, I can't forgive myself. I need to receive it. And it's the same with love. The Bible says we love because God first loved us. And it's only when we receive that from God that we're in a position to give it away. And once we start to understand that that's what love is, we can start to hopefully understand the love that God has for us. As we read through that very last, one of the last points in our worship bulletin, if God is love and then we read what love is, we can translate that and say this is how God is. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. I might add, God is not a control freak. (laughs) Uh, God is not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. Now, that's new information. (laughs) I thought he was always flying off the handle. Uh, And this is even bigger. God keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. God does not delight in evil but he rejoices with the truth. He always protects, he always trusts, he always hopes, he always perseveres. God never fails. As we call up the worship team, and we'll wrap this up, but, you know, the next time you encounter love, you might want to ask yourself, is that really love? And if it doesn't really better people, if it's not really having a positive effect on their life, then maybe we need to question what our definitions of that word are. Thank you.
Lord, as we close this up, we just want to remember that, uh, you know, a God that's less than loving is less than a God. And sometimes, like little children, if we're in pain or we have problems or disappointments in life, that sometimes we can look at you sideways and think that you are less than loving. But help us, Lord, remember that you will make all things right as we surrender to you. And help us to experience your love this week and, more importantly, to extend that love to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.